I was born for his service He filled me with purpose Take your time while you worship him I'm unplugged from the matrix Believe without seeing I'm plugged into the matrix The Daily Perspective Welcome to another episode of the Daily Perspective Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Daily. And um, today we have a special episode of the podcast. We are going to be talking to my cousin, um, straight over from Lagos. He's going to be giving us the latest on what is going on in Nigeria at the moment. Um, For many people who do, or maybe you do, or you don't know, um, my heritage is that I am Nigerian. both my parents are from Nigeria. I grew up, I spent my the first six years of my life in Nigeria and then came to the UK. Um, so with all the stuff that's going on, obviously it strikes a chord with me, but being that I am, a, I am someone that's grown up in the diaspora, I am not f- familiar with, you know, what is going on. It, Although I'm aware, I don't really have that in-depth knowledge because it doesn't affect me in the same way. Um, But that's not to say that it doesn't affect me in any way. So I thought the best thing that I could do, the best part that I could play to support this movement was to bring bring my cousin on and have this conversation find out exactly what's going on in Nigeria, find out what we can do in the UK to help. Um, and that's any of you listening, What you know, this is your opportunity to find out exactly what you can do to help, um, what noises we can make to, to, to help them make change. I wanna support my brothers and sisters in Nigeria. So come on, um, this is why we're doing this episode. So, um, Let's uh, let, let me introduce or, or maybe get my cousin to introduce himself. Deji, how are you doing? Introduce yourself to the people. All right, guys. Uh, my name is Deji Fanion, uh, born and bred in Nigeria. Um, I'm from Mosin State. Uh, I've lived all my life in Nigeria. 35 years I've been spent in Nigeria and I've pretty much traveled to. You know, uh, it's a decent number of states in Nigeria. So yes, uh, I know, uh, of course, uh, quite a lot about our culture you know, and about what goes on uh, right here in Nigeria. Um, so currently, I'm into business transformation, uh, and uh, I've had uh, about 13, 13 years of work experience. You know, and uh, my interest has basically things that have to do with the improvements, you know, anything like uh, uh, any opportunities that you can exploit, you know, to make life better for for uh, for human beings, you know, for machines, for the whole, you know, for world. That, 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 that's me in jail. Cool, cool. So, as I said, Deji is my cousin. This is, uh, this is my family. This is... This probably one of this is the, probably one of the family members I speak to the most. Uh, we spend a lot of time talking on WhatsApp. Um, so when when I say this is someone that I trust, this is someone who I believe will give an honest perspective because I know him, I know his heart. This is why I brought my cousin on. So, um, did you? So for me, because 
So let, let's treat me as though I am, because look, this is, treat me for, exactly for what I am. I'm a kid, I'm a guy that's lived in the UK. I, I'm, apart from dipping in and out of Nigeria or for a good time, I don't really know what life is like in Nigeria. So break it down for us. What is life like in Nigeria? So you've done the whole thing from being a young person in Nigeria. You're now in adulthood. You're now in, you know, heading towards um, what they call the mid stages of life or whatever. So you've been through, you, you know, you've, you've experienced, you've had a very broad experience in Nigeria. Give the people a flavor of exactly what life is like, especially for youth growing up in, in Nigeria. All right. So um, growing up in Nigeria, you know, is uh, really tough. Uh, that's, that's, the, that's the summary of growing up in Nigeria. I mean, it's tough in all other parts of the world, but in other parts of the world, you pretty much have some basic amenities uh, when you're growing up or let me not say other parts of the world, let me say developed countries. You, know. uh, you pretty much have, you know, basic amenities. You've got electricity, you've got water, you've got, you know, security, and you've got uh, various uh, uh, social amenities that keep you going from time to time, possibly, you know, programs for the homeless, programs for you, you graduated, you don't have a job, programs for single mothers, you know. Yeah. You have the various... Uh, 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 um, um, the various initiatives that a lot of uh, the developed countries have now. So let me let, let me interrupt. Let me interrupt you real quick. Okay. 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 One thing. One thing I probably want to make clear because there's a real misconception here in in the UK. People right. believe. People seem to believe that Nigeria is a poor country, and I think that is a that is um, a misconception. Because Nigeria is not a poor country. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. what, so what you're saying is, so I completely agree with what you're saying, um, that mm -hmm. you know, many people growing up do have like the basic amenities of life. But mm -hmm. that isn't because the country cannot afford to provide those amenities. Correct. 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 Yeah. And I'll, yes, and I'll get into that. Exactly. Okay. So, yeah, so I was trying to take it from the bottom. So, right, to grow up, uh, typically, you find out that you, as a kid, you depend on, obviously, the home that you come from. So, but you find out that when you're talking to your parents, you, you typically have to provide your own electricity yourself because you have generators. We don't have 24-hour supply of electricity from the grid. So we have generators. You have to provide your own security. So your clothes, we have lots of vigilante, uh, vigilantes. We have um, private security organizations. The rich ones hire the private security organizations to guard them. The middle class, you know, typically is vigilantes to guard their, their neighborhoods. You know, you, you need to also... Uh, uh, you pretty much fend for yourself as a family. You 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 do everything yourself. Uh, and and uh, going to what uh, uh, Yomi had said earlier on, um, it's not that the country cannot provide these things. Uh, the real issue is the fact that, and if you look at the numbers that the country is running, numbers are crazy from in terms of revenues before even the uh, 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 oil crash, oil price crash. But how is the money allocated? And when it is allocated, how 
do they enforce or ensure that the various ministries, departments, and agencies that are responsible for executing the project are supposed to better the lives of these people actually carry out those things? And that is probably what we would really unleash here. Uh, we hope to unleash with this discussion because what we've got, what we found out is uh, the monies are, are, are the very few states that generate the bulk of monies that come into Nigeria. So I'll give an example: states like Bayelsa, you know, the Niger Delta area, which is where oil uh yeah uh, typically all right and then what happens is the monies go back into something called the federal account now there's something called an sec meeting that the government typically has periodically and what they do at that meeting part of what they do at that meeting uh is is the uh, fec is federal executive council part of what they do at that meeting is to allocate resources for the budget based on their good budget in various states. So they sit and they say, oh, state one, this is what you have, state two, this is what you have, state three, this is what you have. Now, when that has been allocated to those states, they are supposed to take those monies, go back to their states, it goes to the, I mean, through the ministry and goes uh, uh, to the responsible um, uh, um, um, local government, you know, they're supposed to then execute the project and give reports back to say, okay, this and this and this is what you've done with the money. Now, the problem starts there when the monies have been disbursed, you know, to those depart uh, those those various uh, departments. There's no real follow-through to ensure that those projects are executed. When you dig deeper, you get to find out that, number one, the contracts were not awarded in a transparent manner. So it was someone else who probably knew someone who knew someone, you know, that that helped to get that contract. No, we see that happens almost everywhere around the world. But the difference is, yeah. difference is in those parts of the world, they still execute the project to specification. Here, the project does not get executed to specification, if at all. And that's right. where the problem really starts. So accountability is, 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 is really loose in there, you know. And so, this trickles all the way down to various ministries, departments, and agencies. So, from the first problem is the main state, which is the oil that is exported. Just very few states, I think about um, maybe three or four states, are the ones that account for probably, you know, 2080 rule, you know, the 80% of our budget. Now, the different, other different states is Lagos. Lagos has a very massive IGR, a massive economy. You know, Lagos has about, um, Nigeria has in total about uh, 200, an estimate of 200 million uh, citizens. Lagos has about uh, uh, 19 or 20 million. Lagos has a lot, and Lagos has a very, very, very massive economy. Different things right. happen in Lagos. Lagos, is, Lagos has got technology. I mean, I'm sure you guys heard of Paystack. Paystack was founded in Nigeria. Paystack is the payment company. Uh, 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 that got recently acquired by Stripe. Uh, Paystack was founded in Nigeria. Stripe, um, Stripe acquired Paystack last year for 200 million US dollars. So tech startups actually, uh, 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 I mean, there are a lot of tech startups in Nigeria. There is uh, uh, Gokada. Gokada too is a big one. It's like yeah. delivery, uh, what's it called? Exactly. We've got, I mean, they use bikes. To, to make deliveries, you know, and there are different yeah. uh, a lot a lot of companies such as those. But you know, the, the gap is that a lot of the government guys they get the contract, 
they don't follow through on the project, then you see the private sectors having a lot of innovations on their own. What tends to happen later on is that the government ties then come for them and start giving them, of course, because they can see how lucrative those private sectors are, and then start imposing various levies, various tax, taxes, trying to get, I mean, monies off these guys, trying to squeeze these guys you know, off and stuff like that. So that's pretty much, uh, it, it, that's pretty much what, what happens. Uh, and you tend to find out that when you now go to some other states, like if you go to Undo or Oyo, you see that a lot of the money that goes to them are for uh, um, civil servants. So they have a lot of civil servants in their ministries. And a bulk of a large percentage of the money FTC gives to them is just to pay salaries. They right. do not have any ideas. And that's part of where the problem is. They don't have businesses. The economy is not big enough to sustain them. They don't generate, um, by IGR, I mean inter internally generated revenue. They don't generate revenue internally. So they can't sustain themselves. So they always look up to the FTC to give them money, which they only spend, you know, as they wish to, I mean, as, as they feel like. Now, to put some more oversight in terms of how the money gets spent, they created something called the TSA. TSA is the Treasury Single Account, just one account where all the money flows into, and it's from that uh, account that the money should be disbursed to the various sectors. Before, we had multiple accounts, and that made it very, 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 very difficult to track payments and stuff like that. So they created one single account which was called the TSA, where the money flows into, and then from those accounts, it is us to various states or various ministries, departments, and agencies. Uh, that didn't really make a difference, if you ask me. I mean, because at the end of the day, it's still down to who are you giving contract to, and the person you're giving the contract to, are you sure that the person is actually executing that contract to, um, to scratch? So what you've exposed, so what you've exposed really is, you know, because you've just given a brief, you know, you, a, a real whistle-stop tour of the um, administrative side of Nigeria, of how the government right. administers funds and and administers projects and so on. And what we can, what I guess what you're saying there is that even at its core, in the way that this, the country operates, there is one nepotism. Um, mm -hmm you know, used to allocate projects. And then two, there is a level of, I guess, I hate to use the term, but corruption. And how, how does this relate to what we're seeing with the end SARS movement? So how does SARS play into this? Um, how does this drive the agenda of SARS? How did SARS come about? Obviously, there's, there's okay. definitely... That, you know, I, I, you know, let me draw my inference from this that obviously the, the issues with how the government has managed funds and funding of initiatives and projects and so on and not creating opportunities or jobs or anything has created, um, created a, I don't want to say it, but a crime wave. We ended up with quite a lot right. of armed robbers and all of that stuff in Nigeria. And then I believe SARS was, was created to tackle that. So tie the two together for us. Okay, cool. So SARS was created in 1992. Uh, and what they created for was things like, uh, like you said, 
um, violent crimes, crimes involving firearms, kidnappings, um, raping, castle wrestling, I mean, just violent crimes. Uh, they give them a lot of leeway uh, because of the kind of the kinds of perpetrators that they were supposed to be, you know, beginning to book. So they had leeway such as official leeways that we know about such as, you know, they could go around without wearing police uniforms, you know, so you couldn't identify them from a distance when they were probably coming or when they were chasing the area and things like that. You know, they could move around in unmarked vehicles and stuff like that. Uh, we never really saw the act that brought them to light, but uh, we saw that this is how they used to operate. And to be honest, uh, when it first came out in 1992, the frequency of crimes, you know, the crime rate actually dropped. So they were effective. Uh, of course, after several years, what tends to happen, as is with one of the major problems we have in Nigeria, which is called maintenance, we lack the maintenance culture. Uh, we found out that these guys, of course, there were no robbers to catch anyone. Then these guys, in quotes, became the robbers. What it is. Uh, first is a, is a special, uh, it's called a special anti-robbery squad. So it's a police unit action. Right, so uh, what they started doing was started harassing innocent citizens. So they drive, they drive on the road. They just see you. You look good. You look fresh. They're young. They're driving a beautiful car. Just stop you, and they have automatically profiled you. And the next thing they're looking for is they want to extort you. So okay. They went as deep as they drive you to the ATMs. Uh, they, they ask you to put in your PIN, they check your balance, and they make sure that you draw the monies and give them the money. In some cases, they just take you, kidnap Well, I mean, it's more like kidnapping because when they take you to the station, they don't record that they have that station. So they put you in the station, uh, they put you inside the cell. If nobody comes for you or if you are not telling them, okay, I have this amount of monies to give to you, after some time, they could just kill you. I mean, there were a lot of extrajudicial killings uh, for, for um, I mean, that this South guy did. Um, they, they did raping. They, they also did a lot of thefts uh, uh, um, uh, um, themselves. And, and by thefts, I mean armed robberies. They were actually carrying out robberies. They just, they just had this little to work, I mean, to do anything. Um, so, uh, or, or let me say, they, be, they were believed because again, till today, I said I never saw the act. Yes, I know they were formed, but I don't know what they had the leeway to do. But it was majorly believed that they could, you know, do, they could, they had a lot of freedom. So, now relating this to uh, the corruption, uh, uh, it goes, it, it goes really, really. Uh, deep, and I'll say that because if you pass their history, they're from the police force. They're only a special part of the police force. Now, if you look at the police welfare in itself, it is a big problem. The recruits in the police, which is the entry level, actually takes from about ten thousand naira in thirty days. That's right. crazy. Some of these recruits have got family members you know, that they need to take care of. So what they typically do is they just stop you on the road and try to extort you. You know, the worst is if you're using an iPhone. I don't know why they were so particular about the iPhone. Once you're holding a, an iPhone, they believe you're a fraud star. They believe you are a, in Nigeria, it's called Yahoo boy. They just believe yeah. you're a Yahoo boy. It's called them boy, G-boys. <laughs> so they stop you. And then once they see the iPhone, you're gone. 
they take you, they pick you up, they take you to, they try to extort you. In some cases, they kill those guys straight away. There were cases of those wow. guys that killed, I mean, the particular guy in some, that killed so many people. And then uh, the mother got to me, okay, she, uh, he killed so many people and dumped them in the river, so the particular river. I think it's somewhere in Enugu. There was a particular river where the guy dumped those bodies. And then he dumped some of them around the SARS office. He digs shallow graves and he dumps them. Now, this guy is so bad that there was a particular boy that he caught. He caught the boy. The, bomb, the boy's mother came to the station and she saw the boy and she was saying, that is my son. The guy says, no, that's not your son. Asked the mother to leave and eventually killed the boy. And I think when the father came, he told the father, I killed your son and there's nothing you can do about it. This police officer actually told the father that, and then he later told the father the graveyard, I mean, the, the river in which he dumped the boy's body and made wow. the father to swim in that river. The father went in there and was swimming and was trying to find his son uh, and still hasn't found the son's body today. But he said in that river, he saw a lot of dead bodies. You can imagine someone like trying to look for closure to say, okay, one part of him will be saying, let me not find my son here because it will be my son is dead. And another part of him will be saying, I need to find my son. And wow. so, uh, let me, let me, I mean, this is not even the, the highlight of the whole thing. The highlight of the whole thing is that the guy finished the police officer, he retired as a police officer and moved, I mean, he, he became uh, uh, a part of the security detail of the present governor of that state. It was only when this entire process, I mean, protested that the governor of that state fired him. So today the guy is at large. So where I'm going to is the fact that, number one, the condition under which these policemen are trained, it's on you to just Google the Nigerian Police Force Academy, I mean, uh, uh, Training School or Academy. You see the condition under which they live. You see their houses. You see what the recruits goes to. You see how they feed. It is terrible. Then that guy finishes the program. Then you put him on the road and you give him a gun. You give him an AK-47 and you start paying him 10,000 naira and you expect him to be able to guard you. There's no way in the world that will happen. So yeah. what the entrance process was just like a means to an end. It was more like telling the government, hey guys, I mean, police were just a scapegoat, just a scapegoat in this matter. And what triggered it, by the way, again, was in the first case, uh, the boy that they caught, they shot the boy for no reason. They jumped his body out of the car. So they were, it was like a drive-by. They got, they picked him up. They always do like a smash and grab, put him in the car. They were driving, then shot him, and they threw his body out of the car and, and drove off. That's what really started this particular protest. And then people were saying they were tired of it all because SARS has been banned about three times. This is the fourth. Right. It was banned, uh, uh, yeah, like, four, like three times. Yeah, this is the fourth. So people are saying, if you keep banning it and this is still happening, then what does that mean? And you guys are lying to us. So what people believe now that the government is lying, people don't have trust, more or less, in the government. And they are saying, we want a total change. It's not only, I mean, SARS is just a scapegoat, like I said. But we want to pressure you guys to make sure that you are held accountable. Do this and start with SARS. We know that you guys are corrupt. And that is why they started bringing up uh, the senator's salary to say an average senator in Nigeria earns 13 million naira. If an average senator is earning 13 million naira per month, 
I mean, the, the about, I think, uh, 100 and something of them. Yeah, about 100 something of, of, of senators. So we have, it's called the NAS. It's called that National Assembly. There's the wow. upper house, which is the senators, and then there's the lower house, which is the House of Assembly. In total, there are 300 and something, actually. So the senators are 100 and something, while these other guys are, you know, I think about 200 and something. Now, let me tell you how this works. The first problem the youth are having is we don't understand what those guys are doing over there because they are actually, their real function is they're supposed to sit so that the legislative arm of the government and they're supposed to be passing bills. They're supposed to be sponsoring bills. So they're supposed to sit and they will sponsor bills, you know, ensure that they pass the bill and then, you know, it's signed into law so that at the end of the day, and the bills are supposed to be pro-people, which is supposed to make the economy, you know, a better place. Uh, unfortunately, we have seen little or no impact from these guys. They just go in there, they, I think they sit about three times a week, I mean, depending on, um, on the schedule, collect their monies, and unfortunately, we down here, we don't feel the impact. We don't see the bills they are signing that are helping the youth. So yeah. this was a cry for transparency to say, okay, guys, shave off part of your 30 million per month. Give some of these monies to, I mean, add it to the budget of the police in Nigeria. Because they need a full reorientation. Possibly when you change their orientation, they will stop killing people. So they need to be paid well. If are paid well, they will stop extorting, not, not support, I mean, they reduce the gas minimum, how they stop and extort people the roads. They will stop being on on our roads. And this is what the whole entire thing is about. So um, when we found out that the government came out and said, oh, they've agreed to enter, it became a problem because the trust issue is there. Most of yeah. them that they set up committees. Nothing ever comes out of the committee. We never see any output. It's lip service. Tired. Yeah, yeah, lip service. So we want yeah. to talk and do. And people are now saying, so when, they, when we said NTAS, they came up with, imagine, in 48 hours. They didn't even allow, no chill. They came up with another unit called SWAT, Special Weapons and Tactics, and they said they're going to replace SAS. And we're saying, guys, come on. And it'll just be the same guys just moved. You understand. <laughs> so let me make you laugh. We found out that the SWAT unit had been created, I think, about three or four years ago. So the unit is already in existence. It's not like it's a new unit. Right. They're creating a new unit. So they have just taken Nigerians for a fool. Yeah. Or for fools, rather. And, and Nigerians are saying this is no longer going to be business as usual, guys. So we this is. This and we want this done. So this is real similar to what's going on. You know, you can see the parallels between the Black Lives Matter movement. I guess what, sure. makes, what makes this worse is that it's us doing it to ourselves. Exactly. Um, but the things that you've said, so I, I guess I'm not sure if I told you, but I, I shouldn't really talk about it too much, but... Obviously, you know that I work with law enforcement in the UK now. And, mm -hmm. But, you know, these are conversations I have with colleagues in law enforcement and we, where we talk about um, just the disproportionality of um, how policies or how 
powers are used against black people, uh, predominantly young black men. It's a parallel to what we see in the US. You know, the US still has this major issue where um, it's funny because every day I go out, you know, I'm 40 years old. I go out and I put a hoodie on. And if I've got a hoodie on and I've got my mask on, the way that people look at me is as though I'm about to rob them. And I have people moving away from me because immediately they stereotype me. Why? Not because of how, not because of how I'm dressed, because white guys yeah. are dressed the same way, white kids are dressed the same way. They clearly no. profile me because of the color of my skin. Skin color. Yeah. yeah. Now, skin color. it's exactly what, it's, it's similar to what the guys, in, what the SARS guys are doing because they profile you based on you carrying an iPhone or you having tattoos or you having dreadlocks, whatever it may be. Right built up this perception and I guess this is part of our culture as well because you know when we were young it was like ah you can't have dada or you can't do this you know people that was what we were always told you can't yeah, oh, yeah. you wanted to get tattoos oh you can't get tattoos so all these things were immediately they created this image that that is what hooligans and criminals do yeah. And then you create, a, you've now got a task force that have taken this stereotype that we have passed down, you know. Mm-hmm. So I wear, I've got, I've got both my ears pierced. Mm-hmm. And growing up in church, the first thing they told me was that, oh, you know, you can't have, it's wrong for a man to have his ear pierced. And I was like, why? Why? And why? First they tried to say, no first they, yeah, first they tried to say it was biblical. And I, I got, yeah. I, I got them straight away on that one because I said, well, yeah, there are, there are, show me where, because there are people, King David wore earrings, Solomon, all these, all the kings and nobility and in, in the Bible, they, it says, you know, they, when it talks about uh, the, the prodigal son, I believe it says something about, you know, you get him a ring for his finger, a ring for his ear, a ring for his nose, mm-hmm. all this thing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. You, yeah. what they were trying to say had nothing to do with the Bible. It was what culturally mm-hmm. they believed. And this is part of the problem today mm-hmm. that we, we continue to, to push on these stupid cultural things and create all this nonsense and this narrative that paints innocent young men as criminals. Right. And then we give under, as you said, underpaid police officers mm-hmm. who are starving and will do anything to feed their, you know, but put someone in a desperate, give someone in a desperate situation, authority and right. a gun, and you have a recipe for disaster. It's that simple. Yeah. It is that simple. And, and simple. You, know, you know, go back to two, 2003. If you remember in 2003 when I came to Nigeria and I went to the ECOWAS Youth yeah. Forum, I think when I got back, I'm not sure if I told you, I told you um, the guys that there, um, the, these were supposed to be the future leaders of Nigeria. And one, one of the things, the yeah. first, one of the things one of the young men said to me was, I can't wait till it's my turn 
so that I can, I can chop my own money. That was what the guy said to me. So mm. when we've created this culture and, and you know, now you're, you're exposing the fact that 30 million Naira a month. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. of course, of course, people are seeing that as their way out. They all want to get to that level. They all want to make that level of cash. Exactly. And when we create a system mm -hmm. that is so top heavy, there's nothing left for the people at the bottom. And there's so much, right. Right. so much greed, so much nepotism. We're not creating the opportunity for change because we're never mm -hmm. going to let that money filter down to the bottom. So clearly we end up in this situation where these desperate people take matters into their own hands. So, mm -hmm. so from, um, so from your perspective, so if you said this is, this is the, the, the youth saying enough is enough, we're sick and tired of your BS. You lie to us all the time. We're not buying it. So where do you think this is going to go next? What do you think? So they've come out with SWAT. The people have rejected SWAT. What is the, what is the government saying? Um, what is their response to the current view of we don't want SWAT? Okay, so um, they came up, so the youth came up with uh, uh, um, a response to the government. The government came up with a five-point response. Um, part of the five-point response was one uh, uh, that talked about the creation of a new unit, which is, was the SWAT unit. So, infantly, the youth came up with a five-point response as well. And the amazing thing is, which is why they couldn't really break this protest, was that there was no leader. So, they kept asking, who is the leader of this protest? And no one could actually answer uh, uh, the leader. We're just like, speak to us. I mean, this is what we are saying we want. Five very hours after this, I mean, the, the, the government came up with the five things that had the uh, uh, various uh, responses, which also included the formation of uh, a new unit called SWAT. Uh, the unit sent in their response. Uh, there were five things that they were typically demanding, you know, which had, I mean, some of them had to do with the fact that um, the police officers must, I mean, a panel must be set up and all forms of police brutality must yeah so i think i've seen that so they said something like enter enter police br brutality redeployment and retraining of the officers mm -hmm. disbandment that of psychological yeah disbandment of sars and swat mm -hmm. um uh, i can't remember but I, I don't remember the last two yeah, I mean, so those are the, those five are the things that the youth are saying they want and that they will not leave the roads until when the government has done those things. Now, right. the real intent and idea, like part of what I was saying before, is that they want the government to at least respond to them and then they know that, okay, this is no more your big service. This is now you're talking and you're doing. And the plan was that the youth will have left the street. Right. And unfortunately, I'm sure you heard what happened on the 20th. And yeah. Yeah. But the soldiers went in there and that was too brutal. I mean, I was seeing it on a particular lady called DJ Switch on the score. She did a live, she happened to have her Instagram on and she was recording live and it was brutal. It was what I was seeing on her phone was gory. It was like a, it was like a war scene, you know, and uh, what the youth have resorted to now is let's take a step back 
like in my state, there's a curfew, uh, and what they're doing now is that they're, I mean, revisiting the curfew on a daily basis. Because, of course, immediately after the shooting, what happened was that um, thugs took to the streets because there was now a curfew, and the idea was, okay, if there's a curfew, you expect that uh, there'll be security operatives on the roads. But the thing was that the uh, thugs on the road, because I call them thugs, they're not the protesters I know, because I went to Ekito to protest as well. And yeah. I saw kinds of people that I, I met, you know, these are guys that actually go to work. Of course, it was a Sunday, so they were off work. So, I mean, responsible guys. And I mean, I just, I kept hearing announcements such as, uh, don't drink alcohol here, don't smoke weed here, because those were not uh, here to protest and stuff like that. So there was obviously a very high sense of responsibility amongst the guys that I actually saw. Yeah. And I even met like four or five of my former work colleagues who are still professionals, you know, um, who still work, who still go to the office, they are nine to five, you know, coming out to join the protest. Yeah. Protest. But I mean, when the coffee then happened, of course, all of us went back home, and then the third came to the streets and vandalized everywhere. So, uh, I mean, lots of damages. Where I work, uh, we have 90 outlets, and uh, as of today, 11 have been looted, vandalized. In fact, two of the 11 were bombed, were bombed to the ground. So, uh, the, the protest has taken a huge toll on, on unfortunately, uh, uh, the government is trying to again spin the story around to say it is the protesters that actually, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the ones looting. And we're saying, come on, we protested for two weeks and we didn't have any forms of violence. I mean, yeah. it was even later on that talks were coming to attack people at protest sites. And I mean, they are allegedly sponsored by the government because policemen stood by while these thugs were actually attacking peaceful protesters. It didn't make any sense. There were policemen there. In other countries, they protect the protesters. So why did they stand by? So anyways, what the youth have decided to do now is come together. Let's strategize. We can, one, we continue online protesting. So if you go to Twitter, there's still a lot of noise about it. The new hashtag now is, it is not finished. Yeah. So we're still lending our voices through Twitter, Instagram and stuff. The second thing we're trying to do is we're trying to create uh, a youth uh, party uh, so that we then create awareness amongst ourselves to say, look here, that party is going to put forward candidates come 2023, which is when a lot of the elections will be done. And yeah. then we all need to get actively involved in politics. Now, there's also sensitization, and we're not telling one another, uh, the average guy on the road, who is the thug? the guys that want to destroy stuff when you see them you greet them you maybe try to get them to be your friends then you try to educate them uh, and the thing about this incident is that a lot of them have actually seen that the government is not for them these are the same guys that the government actually uses to government in quotes of like politicians yeah used to you know rig elections and they used to threaten people so with what happened this lifetime and how a lot of them were killed because what happened was it was a weekday, the nine to five hours were in the office. So most of the guys at the target on Twinket were the typical, were the poor, in quote, guys. Now, they always go there because people donate and there's free food, there's free, I mean, there's free water, there's snacks and stuff like that. So they go there instead of hustling, go there and get free food, eat, learn the voice. There's a stage there, there's a mic. There are, um, I mean, 
upcoming artists rapping for free, you know, just yeah. showing skills and stuff like that. So they just go there to chill. So it was then that got killed. And now they're realizing that, oh, this is the way this government wants to run this thing. So what we are doing is we are cashing in on that. We're planning to cash in on that. When we see them, we talk to them that, look, guys, we're forming a party. It's going to have young people that are going to represent you with the government. So come 2023, when we need to vote, we will need your vote, you know, that's a fight to it. We're also doing something called, of course, we're raising multiple petitions because we know that a lot of these guys are leaders when they want uh, uh, good health, they travel, they come to UK, they go to US, go to Europe. Their kids don't study in Nigeria because the educational system is dead. Their kids study in UK, US, Europe, and stuff. So what we're doing now is we're trying to come up with a petition. And we're trying to petition UK, US, and Europe, you know, the government to let them stop giving visas to our politicians over here. Stop giving them visas. When you stop giving them and their extended family visas and stuff, then they'll stop running away from, stop running away from the country. They'll fix it because they'll, they'll then be forced to fix Nigeria. So those are the things that we have, you know, for now, and those are the things we intend to intensify and force on. Of course, while still pressurizing the government online to say, you have come us five for five, we haven't forgotten, and we are still keeping eye on you. You also promised, I mean, part of the five you are trying to remember is to complete victims of police brutality. So that one too is a very important one, and we are keeping an eye on, on that bit too. You know, and then we even want them to amend the police budget, not only improve the welfare, but to provision for police brutality. By the time you are paying an amount and you are really reporting that amount on an annual basis, you see this is the amount the government is spending to compensate police brutality. Then maybe you guys will start to take, you know, the the section itself serious. And yeah. like I said, police and staff is just one uh, um, yeah, one, it's a bigger one, thing. One, one, one of the whole thing. It's a, it's a bigger thing. It's a much and bigger thing. At all, yeah. at all levels yeah. of, of the government. Yeah, because it's crazy that in Nigeria, you know, an officer can go and fire rounds and, yeah. um, and you don't have to account for every bullet that you fired because you do in other countries. You cannot fire a round without accounting, accounting for that round that you fired. Whereas, if you remember when we were kids, we would be in, um, we, we'd be in Basharun and a car would be coming, a convoy would be coming, and, and the soldiers would be firing rounds into the air to get people to move yeah. back. Out of the way, yeah. 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 It's absolutely crazy how they use weapons they mm -hmm. use them in such an irresponsible way mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. you know, and it's because it, there's never been any accountability for how they use these things. Yeah. It spiraled out of control. I mean, yeah. um, it's funny. It's funny because I've always, I think it was maybe, I can't even remember how many years ago. Um, I said to my dad that I wanted I wanted to come back to Nigeria and get into politics because I was sick and tired. <laughs> I said I was sick and tired of seeing how the country was being run and that I can't even... So this is, so this is the frustration because All right. for, for, for people like me 
And I've said it to you countless times, I've wanted to come back home, but everyone discourages me from coming back home because they say there was nothing here for you. And it's a bit, it's a bit difficult because there is nothing here for me here either. You know, people, people look at the UK and believe that the UK is this land of milk and honey. Whereas mm -hmm. you can't, you can't be promoted to senior roles. Um, you know, even when you start your own, your own companies, your, your patronage does not come from, um, from white customers or anything or white businesses because they see a black man in charge and a lot of them just do not want to do business with you. I know a lot of black people that have white business partners who they have go in and do and win the business because they know that they can't go in to do it because they won't get the business. How is that a fair society for any, you know, any self-respecting black man that wants to accomplish anything in life to, mm. to, to continue to live in? It is, um, it's traumatic. It's, mm. it's mentally traumatic. And, you know, part of the, part of the purpose of this podcast for me was, is, is I, you know, I, 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 I'm not going to use any profanity, but <laughs> I, I really don't give a bleep anymore about um, sometimes just being all this political correctness and stuff like that. I, I feel like saying it how it is. I'm sick and tired of the mental trauma that we endure as black people and we're expected to shut up about it. Um, you know, I've experienced prejudice at work. I've been spoken to in, in ways that are condescending. Um, I've had to deal with microaggressions, all these things. And then I look wanting to leave and go home because that's what they're always telling me, go back to your own country. Mm -hmm. So I want to go back and then I'm, I'm looking and, and I can't even go back because one, I wouldn't even be accepted in my own country because I didn't grow up there. I don't understand the way the culture works. I don't agree with a lot of the things in the culture. And because I won't play ball, I won't grease any palms to get contracts or do anything underhanded to succeed. I would be an outsider. Mm. So yeah. we really do need political reform in Nigeria. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really hoping that this, what is going on is going to lead to change. Do you, so what you said about the youth creating uh, a party that's going to fight to win seats in the next ele election, that is a good thing. I pray that it's mm -hmm. not going to be people that want to just get their share of 30 mil a month that, that go for this, you know, yeah, I get you. we, we have to vet the people that we're going to, that are going to be put forward because they have to be people that truly believe mm -hmm. in change and want to see the betterment of, of Nigeria. Nigeria has the potential to Country. be one of the greatest countries right. in the world. The talent, mm -hmm. the, 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 the resources, the talent, the creativity, you know, 
just what Nigeria has done for the Afro music, Afro, you know, Afro beat scene across the world mm -hmm. is amazing. Mm -hmm. What what yeah. Nolly what Nollywood has done in for the movie in the movie world, amazing. As you're saying, mm -hmm. in the tech in the tech world and the startups, amazing. Nigeria has yeah. so much potential to change yeah. the world. And we're still lagging behind because we can't let go of um, what our colonial masters created when they left. Yeah, I agree that two things. I call it greed and incompetence. That those are for me. Those are the two problems we have: greed and incompetence. Incompetence is in the sense that I've really you, a lot you of. Do you, that that was, you do know that was intentional. So you do know that oh, the, yeah. Yeah. the greed and incompetence was intentional. When, when the yeah, UK gave independence, that is what yes. they left on purpose. Exactly. That is what they left on purpose. And it was because they forever wanted to be able to control that uh, uh, um, colony that they left. Yeah. Thing as, I mean, when I did my NYSC, it's a very interesting program where you graduate and you're expected to go to some faraway state and you spend a year there. They say you're serving the government, right? And then you get paid some money, you know, that will just keep you alive. Um, well, I happened to do mine in Bida. Bida is in Niger State. And I understood this thing a lot more better because my eyes got opened and I found out how exactly the, the, the this title called the Exumute. So it's more or less like the king of Bida, so to say, how he ensures that he's a learned guy. Learned guy, when I checked his history, uh, I mean, or let me say when I was there, because that was 2004. I don't know if he's the same guy. 2005, I don't know if he's the same guy that's still there right now. But he was learned. I think he even, uh, uh, he was a military guy, he was an ex-guy, and he spoke beautiful English because he was in the palace, he spoke beautiful English and stuff like that. But the people in that town, oh my goodness, terribly backwards in terms of education, exposure, enlightenment, they knew next to nothing. And like, I mean, like you have said, it's deliberate, which is why they do not want to work on education, because if they work on education, things are going to be different. It's the same way this MTAS protest gathered team was not education, but our attribute to exposure. The advent of the internet has changed a lot of things in Nigeria, has changed the game. So what happened was social media was there. Uh, in time past, all these things, I mean, massacres have happened before. Protests have happened before, but they go nowhere. The end yeah. You don't know, Ghana doesn't even know. But now there's internet everywhere. Like I said, there was a lady that had a live stream so people watch the live stream and it was bloody. People yeah. saw it happen live. So, I mean, there was some other guy too that was there. He happened to leave his own live stream on as it was running. So, the guys in different parts of the world, I mean, I was happy when I saw Lewis Hamilton um, modified his, um, um, his avatar on Instagram, you know, with the badge doing this and. Uh, I think he posted one of his wings and there was a lady there that replied and said, why do you want to bring politics into F1? And Mercedes Benz handle, official handle, which is verified, actually replied to the woman and said, this is not about politics. This is simply about human lives, human having the, I mean, the right to live 
you know, just just uh, are not being killed. Uh, you know, that, that's all they want. Now, the funny thing is, Nigerians don't want too much. They just want to survive. They want to hustle. They want to get their money, and they want to move on. But the problem we are having with these police officers are not only staff, mind you, police officers to kill people. Problems we are having with them is the fact that just kill. So are we now saying we cannot have our right to live? And so, like you had said, the advent, like I was saying, the advent of the internet has changed the game. Information gets around and goes to the rest of the world. And now they know because other people started calling the president. In fact, I mean, this president, is, I don't even know what to say about him because I listened to his speech. He finally spoke. He spoke, protests started day one. People were saying, where's this guy day two, day three? He spoke on day four. People were a bit, I mean, people calmed down a bit, you know, when he spoke on day four. And then this guy goes quiet for the next seven, eight, nine, ten days. And then finally, the massacre and does not even mention a word about the massacre. Does not even mention a word about lives that had probably been lost as a result of the unrest in different parts of the world because these protests are now happening in the 36 states of Nigeria. What people have even started doing, and it happened today, was they went to senators' homes. That's to tell you how, how infuriated people are. There's a senator representing a particular constituency in Calabar. His house was looted today and his house was set on fire. Because the senator representing uh, some section in Ibadan. And by the time they got to his, I mean, a, a constituency in Ibadan. By the time they got to his house in Ibadan, they found uh, uh, motorbikes. They looted, they moved brand new motorbikes. They looted, they took away all the bikes from his compound and they looted his home too. Now, I'm not saying I stand for violence. No, I do not condone any form of violence. Yeah. What is happening is that the fact, I mean, the guys are awakening. Yeah. They are getting to know that you are in a position to actually change the country around and you are doing nothing about it. That's yeah. the summary of what is happening. And they are now coming for you. And they are yeah. coming very, very fast. They are getting to know that it is. And that's what's going to change the world. That's what 2020 has been. 2020 has been the year where people just said, man, F this. Enough, yeah. is, enough is enough. Yeah. Right? That, that's, what, that's what 2020 has been. That's it. En enough is enough. Black Lives Matter, enough is enough. US, enough UK, everywhere in the world, enough is enough. Yeah. That, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. that, what you said about a woman saying, don't bring po politics into F1, that doesn't surprise me one bit because that is the, really? that is the sentiment for anything when you try to push um, equality for black people or any other race mm -hmm. that is not white. Let me, let me be fair and say, anyone that is not white, once you try to push an agenda for equality, you suddenly get this. You suddenly get this message of why are you bringing politics into this, or why are you bringing, um, why are you making this a race thing? No, 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 sweetheart. You made this a race thing. You guys made this a race thing four hundred mm -hmm. years mm -hmm. ago. We were chilling in our own countries, and you yeah. came 
and you colonized our countries, you sold people into slavery, you ripped children away from their, from their mm -hmm. pet families, you destroyed mm -hmm. homes, mm -hmm. you looted and, mm -hmm. and stole the resources of, the, of these countries. You then left and left the countries in turmoil and in the worst possible, possible state you could mm -hmm. just to keep them bound and in debt to you no. Then you allow corruption to persist in, in these colonies that you are so-called parts of the Commonwealth or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you allow these people to come to the UK knowing full well that the money that they're using to buy properties, send their kids to school, of government funds, public funds that have been embezzled. No, you guys made this problem. You made this problem a very time ago and now you don't you want to wash your hands of the problem that you've created because it's get the heat is getting a bit too much but unfortunately mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it is what it is people have had enough it's that simple yeah it's that simple it's that simple i mean i saw uh, uh to buttress your point i saw uh, where someone was asking my tent uh, about what was happening in Nigeria, you know, asking him, hey, when you guys had your Black Lives Matter uh, uh, protest, I mean, a lot of countries supported you guys. I mean, by supporting means, I mean, they lended a voice to say, guys, you need to listen to what these people are saying, blah, 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 blah. Why are you guys not, you know, intervening in what is happening in Nigeria? And do you know what his response was? It's not priority. That's the summary of his response. And I yeah. was shocked. Yeah, that is oh, it's not priority, of course. I mean, I know that probably trying to keep their seats uh, for for the elections that are going to happen, you know, ne next 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 month. But I mean, it it was it was a bit too uh, blatant, and it is what Nigerians uh, have somehow realized that hey, guys, nobody's going to come and save us but us. So yeah. we need to wake up and we need to do something, these guys. And you know, when you don't have, unfortunately for those guys, we have the brains. And then the, when you don't have brains, you go for bullets, which is what they did uh, uh, with, uh, with, with the Lekki Massacre. But yeah. what's gonna happen, what the youth intend to do is, let's just give them some time. They say they wanna work, right? Let's back up two weeks, three weeks. Let's see what's gonna happen. If we don't see uh, uh, any steps in the right direction, then we're back on the street. You know, and this time, I, I really hope the government can continue because even at the election massacre, the youth did not leave that spot when the shoulders were fired. They stayed, they sang, they sang the national anthem, they wove their flags. They did not leave that spot. At well, in some instances, they run forward, they run backwards, they run forward, they run backwards. Those guys are now ready to die. The question is when you push your citizens to the wall, so that particular pressing point where they're not going back and they know that well i mean just that street even by walking from here to the one useless policeman they just shoot me so why don't i die here for the country that's yeah. the level they have gotten to and when your citizens get to that level you need to do something about that that's that's the case of nigeria what do you what do you say to the people that that say this is a biafran thing that people want to see the end the end of the uh republic of nigeria uh, um uh, to those guys i think they are very myopic i think their minds are very minuscule um i think it's 
ähm, doch äh, tip short. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't see any reason why anyone should spin this thing across ethnic lines. Um, um, it's not giving, I mean, whoever tried it is not picking up steam. It's not picking up the steam they intended for it to pick up. Again, because analysis, everyone has seen that your own ethnic group is not doing you right. It's not doing well by you. They're the ones at the Senate. They are representing your constituency at the Senate. Yeah. They're not even doing you well. So it's not about the guy across the, uh, the other race. Because I've, I've seen things as well where they're saying, you know, this is all, this, all the places that have been burnt down are, you know, Yoruba places or Yoruba. Yeah, yeah so. That nonsense. So if, uh, that, if, that's the ball. <laughs> yeah, it's, not, it's not picking up steam. I mean, what happened typically in Lagos was people felt the Lekki Tor massacre was perpetrated by um, a, poly, a, a particular APC chieftain. They allegedly thought it was Bola Ahmed Tinubu because he has vested interest in the Tor Gate company. That's LCC, the company that runs the Tor Gate. So, because they were protested for two weeks, and they lost uh, a considerable sum of money. I think by day 10, they had lost about almost 300 million naira in revenues, of course, because people weren't paying, people weren't passing the tolls, so they weren't making money. Yeah. He felt that he had motive than the soldiers. He came out to obviously deny that, I mean, to say he didn't have anything to do with it. Now, what happened was mostly on the next day, 21st, was that a lot of businesses, they believed again. They didn't have proof, but they believed that they had a huge stake in those businesses. Those are businesses that were mostly attacked. Then some people went for the businesses uh, that the state owns. Obviously, glaring legal state-owned uh, businesses, they went for it. Then by the close of business day two, which is 20, 21st and 22nd, by 22nd, mind you, there was a coffee in place, but I mean, I mean people just defied the coffee. Yeah. Second, they were going for other private business owners. Like I said, our own business is owned by an indigenous Nigerian. It has nothing to do with East, West, North, and South. But the thugs just took, uh, the area boys just took advantage of the fact that no one, no one was on the road. There was unrest, law and order. And they went in the ShopRite, which is one of the biggest shopping malls in Nigeria. There's not even, I think it belongs to Nigeria. It was looted from top to bottom. Yeah. Small stores. Abuki, Abuki's are the other guys that have small kiosks and sell things yeah. like cigars and stuff. They were looted. The, I mean, they just, the Muscans just took, um, the hoodlums just decided to, you know, take charge take of everything. That was known. And that's what happens. That's what happens in any in every protest. We've seen it mm, everywhere. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Exactly. It, everything, everything. There's always it's, this. It's just, some, it's just unfortunate that there are still yeah. people amongst us thinking along the lines of trying to spin this thing the ethnic way. I mean, yeah. it, it's, not, it's, it's not that, it's got nothing to do with that at all. Yeah. So let, let you know, I don't, I don't want to labor the point because I think people are getting, you know, are getting what you're, what you're saying. And I, I think we could always, we could definitely always revisit this, but yeah. what can people in the diaspora do to support the movement? Okay. So one is, um, lending a voice, 
you know, not, and I saw that really happen. And for that, we're really grateful down here. We saw a lot of protests in different parts of the world. So yes, and that made it pick up steam. I saw a lot of them going to the ambassador's home. Some went to the embassy. In fact, I, I think I even saw some pull down the Nigerian flag in the UK. I mean, in the, in the Nigerian embassy in the UK. That was really funny, you know, and that really meant a lot to us down here. Uh, in some other places, we saw them going to the uh, high commissioners, you know, residence and the high commissioners other things, stuff like, and this is my house. You came to me and the guys, and, and the guys told him, this is not your house. This is our house and we pay your salary. I think that was in Canada. So yeah. that is what we want from those guys, taking the battles to all those guys over there in diaspora, you know, taking the battle, or, you know, to, 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 to other parts of the world, wherever they are, you know, that's one, one side of it. The second side is obviously funding. Um, when the chips are down, when it's time to do elections, elections cost money in Nigeria. And that is because the primary problem of the guy in Nigeria is his stomach. And that's where the word stomach infrastructure came from. So the truth is, yes, in as much as we're trying to create awareness and we want to probably form a party and take some seats at the Senate, we are trying, I mean, we also need funds to, to, to pick, uh, you know, the form and to also, you know, do some types of campaigns, which the people down there understand. You know, so, I mean, that is a very vital uh, part of it. So, one, lending a voice, two, uh, uh, um, um, funding, three is trying as much as possible to, to uh, um, increase awareness and to improve awareness, which is, by awareness, I mean, they're trying to use their position wherever they are, in whatever state they are, to make people know that, Something is going to happen in 2023, which is going to be different. It's not going to be business as usual, you know. So people know that, okay, something different is happening back home. So that those people that are really, really interested can actually travel. Because, I mean, it's funny how people actually travel down to Nigeria to vote for Buari. I know people that came down to Nigeria to register. And then they came down to actually come and vote. That's all they came to Nigeria to do. They voted for Buari and they went back. And that's, I mean, that was 2000 and uh, um, for the first uh, uh, one, I think that was 2013. And that's where this guy actually, I mean, I mean, won the, won the election from, from China. So um, um, it's time to, to do our final votes. If people can come down, you know, and actually vote for, vote for whoever we are putting forth, that would be, you know, really appreciated. And then I think the last is, um, whatever they can do to ensure that they can get the petition uh, 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 into effect over there, which is the petition that stops the politicians from traveling or even healthcare to these countries, because that is what is going to ensure that these guys fix. And so politicians, they have never done medical checkup in Nigeria. Never. Yeah. And they're in the Senate. Never. They always travel abroad to do it. What does that tell you? The guy doesn't have faith in the system that he's governing. Come on. So they should stop them. They should even stop them for holidays. They should stop them totally. You know that if you are taking a position of power for the next, I don't know, whether it's 15 years or 20 years, you cannot exit your home country. Then they'll begin to fix the country. Yeah. yeah so 
I mean, but it's up to the government of those countries to cooperate, you know, and, and that's a tough one. So if our people over there can actually put pressure on them, whichever way they can make that work, I mean, we really appreciate, we really appreciate that. You know, so those are the ways the guys, I believe the guys in that's where I can actually learn the voice. You know, that's, 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 the, that's the sum of it. All right, all right. Deji, thank you so much. This has been super informative. That, you know, definitely for me, because like I said, um, obviously I see the stuff, I see the posts, I see everything, but actually getting to hear from you, you know, understand the history, understand the, the, some of the challenges, um, clearing up some of the propaganda and some of the, the lies that, that people are putting out there and some of the distraction tactics that people are using to turn people's attention away. I think, again, that's mm -hmm. been super helpful. But most importantly, telling, you know, reminding people what they can do to help. And as you said, lend your voice, funding for, uh, the, for the campaigns when, when it comes time for running for seats in, in Senate, um, backing the petitions, and, oh, what was the fourth one? What was the fourth one? Um, <laughs> when it comes to the protest so yeah see man yeah. It's, it's late it's late forgive me so those are the things people can do to support um, I appreciate you coming on I appreciate you sharing this and, and talking to people stay safe don't don't, don't put you I, I know I know you're doing your part, but you know, please stay safe. Um, and uh, yeah, we we you know we can definitely talk more, and um, we might you know as things progress, we'll probably bring maybe a part two to this interview and and uh, share some more as yeah. as things change in Nigeria. You know, you're now you're now my man on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. That's fine. I mean, I'm, I'm really, I'm really grateful. I'm, I'm grateful. I feel honored to have, I mean, to have been on your, on your podcast and stuff like that. I mean, and I think we should also uh, flip uh, when it comes to possibly some future interviews here, yeah, because I mean, there are one or two statements you made that I would like to, you know, like I would like to do a lot more about. Okay. Uh, about how things are run at your own end. So maybe you know we should flip. Uh, 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 the podcast, you know, maybe much later on, so that I can probably get to do the questioning. Is that possible? Yeah, then, uh, I get to know, I get to know what's happening at your end. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely, I'm up for that. So we'll definitely do that. So, guys, I want to thank you, thank you for listening to another episode of the Daily Perspective. As I said, you can always catch me on Twitter at DY Daily, on Instagram at DY Daily, on um, the Daily Perspective website, uh, www.dailyperspective.co.uk, um, on YouTube and um, just all over the socials. I'm, I'm, I'm everywhere. So uh, stay posted. We will be bringing you more and um, stay tuned to our regular episode. Please subscribe, hit that like button, uh, share with your friends and family and definitely support this movement. 
Until next time, I'm out. <laughs>